Recording now. Hello. 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 <laughs> All right. Welcome to Double Cuzzies, where two people who share 25% of their DNA and their entire extended families talk about life. Double Cousins! It's like if Beyonce and Solange Knowles married Nick and Drew Lachey and had kids. Oof, I don't like that one. I know, right? I don't it's like very, it. It shouldn't exist. It really no. shouldn't exist. No, it's no like... one has ever thought about that until now. Yeah. <laughs> No one in the history of culture. I had an original thought of what a terrible pairing that was. <laughs> a terribly be. original thought. Yeah. If that existed, then Nick Lachey probably wouldn't be hosting Love is Blind. So that would mm-hmm. be a loss for the world. That's really the only other ramification that I can think of. If that, if that quad <laughs> existed instead of its current setup. So, yeah. Beyonce's music would be exactly the same. Totally. Yep. There would be no ripple effects that, that would touch her music. It's untouchable. It would be Lemonade, but in relation to Nick Lachey. The crystal light version of Lemonade. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, listeners, for this episode of Double Cuzzies, when this airs, it will be about two years, almost exactly, from when we all started working remotely or living this pandemic life for real. So we figured it would be a good opportunity to check in and talk about how we felt over the past two years of this pandemic situation, how it's really changed us as people and to really just you know we alluded to it in our beginning episodes of what major life changes we've had over the past couple of years but i think today we're going to have a little bit more of a deeper discussion on how it felt over those past two years and also the emotional journey that we've gone on so kalia with that i think to kick it off two years ago around this time we were just finishing a trip together to disneyland Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was very yeah. early February 2020. And I think that that was definitely right when the news started breaking about something called coronavirus mm-hmm. and that it was maybe in the U.S., but nobody knew really what it was or what it meant. And so there was some question of, do we go to Disneyland? Do we not go to Disneyland? And so I think we made, at the time we made the decision, yep, we're going to go. And Mm -hmm. I'm really glad that we did because I haven't gone since and not sure exactly when will be the next time that we get to go. Mm -hmm. But that was definitely the last like normal pre-pandemic activity that that I did anyways. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a I I remember feeling like a little bit of trepidation because as with the whole thing, it was like you didn't know what to think. And especially because it was so early on, it was like. We were there. No one was wearing masks. Mm -hmm. It was very crowded. I did have some worries in that environment, but it's just you didn't know anything. So I'm I'm really glad we went. But everybody was so ignorant at that time. I'm really glad that we went. Really blissful. (laughs) Yes. I'm really glad that we went. I'm even gladder that nothing catastrophic happened as a result of that. Yes. Actually, I got really sick after. Yeah, you might have had it. You're not totally sure because testing at that point was just non-existent. Yeah, I didn't get an actual COVID test. I did end up getting an antibody test a few months after and it was negative, but I rarely ever get sick knock on wood. And after that, I remember being like fluish sick for four days, which was really odd. It could have just been like a really bad cold or something. 
Disneyland is pretty disgusting and germy <laughs> now that I think of it. Yeah, now that we think about it, yes. <laughs> but, yeah. But for the most part, cause of that unknown, yeah, everyone was fine. Yeah. Unaffected by yeah probably unaffected and I think that uh, it's really hard to remember what it felt like two years ago when we really knew nothing about what was Mm -hmm. happening and it's it's easy to say now it's oh this is how I would do these risk calculations or make these decisions but at the time it's just we had no idea so yeah it's pretty crazy to just in retrospect from then until now and what everybody how everybody has adjusted over the past two years like all of those feelings are so pervasive and I don't know if do I don't think we'll ever go back to thinking how we were before. I don't think so either. Because of happened. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think we should (laughs) either. And so it's good to reflect on, I I think when we thought of the topic of this episode too, it was, oh, okay, it doesn't seem like that much has happened in the past two years. But then when I actually thought about it, a lot happened in the past two Mm -hmm. years. You had a baby, which is... Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So I think that that was definitely part of it too. But yeah, I think it is very easy to feel like because we've been stagnant or in the same place physically or literally that nothing has really happened or changed Mm -hmm. in the past two years. But when you think of the mental processes that we've gone through over the past two years, I feel Mm -hmm. like a different person. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I think it's easy just to chalk it up to one piece of time that was really mushy and just things happened, but it was all the same. But deliberately reflecting on it and seeing how we've progressed personally, it's there's undoubtedly change that has happened. So I guess early pandemic days, thinking back two years ago when you first started working from home, what were your habits like? What were your work from home routines like? How did you feel at that point as far as not knowing how long we were going to be doing this for? Yeah, I think not knowing how long we were doing it for, it was, oh, this is fun this will be different for a few weeks and then this will roll over and we'll be back around people and in the office and obviously that never happened so I think there was this like kind of ignorant frivolous feeling in the beginning but that didn't last super long and then for me personally end of April 2020 I moved in with my partner so that really switched up my routine and my day-to-day thinking and that's everything with living together in the house is how I have like framed my pandemic timeline around or what I have framed my timeline around so that's been interesting because in addition to just what was going on in the world the environmental changes Mm -hmm. and the changes in our relationship those are big markers of like beginning, middle, current pandemic stage. Yeah, I remember it feeling we didn't know what was happening. So <laughs> in the beginning, it was just like, oh, this is new. And then I think like a couple months in, it was like, oh, this is this is just weird now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're still doing this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you remember what the feeling was for you when all of this started culminating? Yeah, I think it was so abrupt when... We got the guidance to work from home until further notice, essentially. And it was so abrupt that I feel like everybody just had stuff left at their desks. It was like everybody got raptured. And I haven't actually been back to my office since then. And I actually just got the shipment that they packed up. The facilities crew like packed up whatever was left at my desk and shipped it to me. And so when I walked away from my desk in early March for the last time, I had no idea that it was the last time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and since then, I've gone completely remote work. And so I'll I'll never go back to that same office or that desk again. Mm -hmm. But 
I remember the time that I was thinking, I was like, this is great because I have a terrible commute and mm-hmm. I was already trying to do that as little as possible. But I was also very close to the people who I worked with. I was very active also in the fun committee and the group who mm-hmm. always make sure that there's fun offsites and that we're thinking about the culture and making sure that people feel connected. And then when we shifted to this work remote environment, it was from a work perspective, I really threw myself into that of trying to figure out, okay, how do we keep people still feeling connected? And so I put a lot of energy around planning virtual yoga and happy hours and all those things, thinking that this was not going to be a forever thing. And the longer that it went on, it was just like, how, what's the pace that we can actually support this kind of community engagement work? And and what's the need really? Is this what people want? But I think early on, I spent a lot of energy and effort doing that kind of work. And it felt personally rewarding too. And it was a way of feeling physically energized too and, and staying in better health. But then it was really weird because even though I was very active and engaged like with my coworkers, around April, I started to feel like very tired and just like Mm. very run down Mm -hmm. and at the time I thought maybe I was like I am I depressed I haven't felt in a way before where I couldn't just regulate my own emotions and say oh just just think positively about it or Mm -hmm. or just don't think about that I think maybe I was unable to compartmentalize as much as I was before Mm -hmm. but then also about a month after that I found out that I was pregnant and it was like Oh, hormones. (laughs) So combination of probably both hormones and the situation at large. Yes, yes. (laughs) But I think that feeling of depression, I definitely, like for the past two years, it would ebb and flow. Like I would have three or four really solid weeks where I'd feel productive and energized. And then it would just hit me and be very unmotivated, very tired for no great reason because Mm -hmm. we were just at home and... I think that same, I was not pregnant, but that same feeling clicked for me. And yeah. that has been something that happens every few months throughout all of But just the double cousy psychic connection again. You weren't, preg- <laughs> you weren't pregnant, but really we were pregnant, Kelia. We were and sharing the hormonal yes, effect. <laughs> yes, we synced up. <laughs> yes, our depressive loops, they have aligned. Yeah. And then I think around that time, shortly after that, in, in May, it Like that was when George Floyd was murdered and all of those protests were happening. And I remember just feeling like incredibly anxious at that time. And then also knowing that I was pregnant and having that additional layer of risk of I don't really feel safe partaking in these protests then or going on any of these marches, mm-hmm. but then feeling bad about not being able to participate in those things too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I remember at that time too, like in May, like my brother's shop is in Portland, Chinatown, and there was a mm-hmm. lot of riots that were happening down there and a lot of unrest. And I legitimately thought that he was going to get murdered protecting his oh, shop. Yeah. And it's like on top of that, oh, okay, I'm like 13 weeks pregnant and super hormonal. And so it was just this perfect storm of what is happening all mm-hmm. at the same time. But yeah, that was fun. How was yeah, your I summer? Feel like the- <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I, I I did not recount my timeline as closely as you, but now that you're mentioning, yeah, May through summer, it was just super weird. Like, how do you process everything that's going on? But also, how do you involve yourself in this? I think it was probably like middle or late May, we went to a protest in downtown Phoenix and it just felt overwhelmingly emotional. Just mm-hmm. so many people walking in the streets and 
everybody there sharing the same feelings and the same need to express that in a public place. That was really crazy. But yeah, it was my balance of care about this. And also, how do I consume all of this news and this media and balance that with my current emotional state and not let it like completely deteriorate me? I think that was hard with so much going on that's like outside of your control. And just trying to to be a normal or functioning person among all of that. Yeah. And what we talked about too, like in the in our intro episodes of feeling the sense of like detachment and this ability to detach and knowing that that's a privilege of like I don't have to put myself in these situations, even though that's mm-hmm. a lived experience for so many people. Mm-hmm. And like this overwhelming sense of I I am so aware of what is happening right now, and I feel so helpless to do anything about it. I think also around this time is when grandpa started getting sick or starting mm-hmm. getting weaker. And so I was thinking about, like, how do we get back to Arizona to see him? Mm-hmm. Like, during a pandemic and not being able to fly or not wanting to fly. And so that was really tough, too. And so I think, yeah, summer of 2020 was just mm-hmm. a shit, like, period of time. Definitely. Yeah. There was a lot going on and yeah, grandpa was in the middle of all of that and yeah, that was really hard, but I think we all got to spend some time with him that summer, which I'm very, very grateful for. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think the pandemic in a lot of ways, because I was working remotely and because we had the ability to be working from other locations for extended periods of time. In a sense, it's what enabled us to be able to be in Arizona a lot mm-hmm. in that summer. And so mm-hmm. I feel really lucky for that. And so it's really weird to think that in some cases it made things so much more difficult. And in some cases it made other things possible. No, it's, absolutely. Uh, yeah. But it's interesting when you talk about how you frame your the your timeline around like moving in with your partner and your house mm-hmm. renovation and everything. And I think for me, because I was pregnant like very early on in the pandemic That is how I've charted (laughs) of like, oh, when I was in my second trimester, this was Mm -hmm. happening. And when I, and then I had a baby and then I had a one-year-old. And so I feel like without being able to actually have that tangible marker of time progressing, it would have just gone by much, much faster or felt like it went by really fast. Yeah, exactly. I wonder if that's the case for most people. I'm not saying everybody was pregnant or moved into a new house and had the stage of their relationship. But I wonder if people have identified markers outside of just the pandemic to relate things to. I think it's probably something that all humans do to try and orient themselves. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, I know that like any, yourself in something. Yeah, because I know that anybody who has kids, like even before I had kids, I noticed this about people when they were trying to remember a timeline for something unrelated to like their personal life or their family they would always tie it back to so and so was 11 then and so they were in Mm. this grade and this was happening and so it's like how you overlay a very personal timeline onto greater events Mm. that happen because otherwise it's just you can definitely lose track of like where you exist in history or like what's actually happening in the world it can be very confusing but yeah I i think that 2020 was it 2020 Yeah, 2020. (laughs) It's like getting so hard to even remember, like, how long have we been in this pandemic for? Mm, The 2020s. (laughs) Yeah, but I think, like, 2020 was just, like, so much unknown happening. And then 2021, for me anyways, early on in 2021, it was so all-consuming of, I'm just trying to survive as a mom of two now. Mm. Uh, Of, like, I have a toddler and a newborn 
and I'm just at home and just trying to make as many decisions as possible to keep everybody as safe as possible. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the other thing too, is when I found out that I was pregnant early on in the pandemic, it was like, okay, now the stakes are even higher for me to not get sick yeah. or for nobody in my family to get sick. It was just like so many decisions that had to be made every single day. And it's just exhausting. I think maybe mm-hmm. that's why also like, I just felt so fatigued because it was just Every single day it's, oh, should we let them go and see this person? Who is this person in contact with? And so I think it's just obviously like that a number of decisions that have to be made has not really decreased, <laughs> but at least yeah. the information that you have to make those decisions is better. Yeah. A little bit yeah. better. Yeah. These are just, you make those decisions, I feel, to an extent as a parent outside of a pandemic if you're a discerning parent, yeah. But, yeah. but yeah, with the, the threat of this on top of it, and then also just early on, even a year into it, I feel like a lot was unknown. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you do that? How do you make those decisions? Or what's like your guiding light? Yeah, I can only imagine that puts a lot of stress and different weight on that. Yeah. And also because I was pregnant, like we didn't go back to Arizona for Thanksgiving. We didn't go back for Christmas that year either. And so I think that was the longest stretch of time too, that we went without really seeing anybody in the extended family. And so I'd be interested to know how that second half of the year went for you, Kaylee. That was the longest stretch that we hadn't seen each other. Yeah, the second half of 2020. Yeah. Oh gosh. We had seen each other in the summer because that's when grandpa passed Mm -hmm. away. It was like around Labor Day. And then we didn't see him. Yeah, I'm trying to recall this. I remember it being just like... A lot of, I was still seeing family every now and then. like the family were some of the only people that I felt safe seeing outside of my house. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the holidays being really tough though? Because my dad was sick. That's right. So mm-hmm. um, we didn't do anything just on top of the pandemic. And that situation with my father in the hospital was really foreign and unexpected. So it was super, super quiet. I just feel like for the most part, it was trying to wrap my head around everything and not having the interaction that I usually did mm-hmm. to process those things. I think throughout all of this, my life has become a little bit more slow, like a different pace. And as a person, just my thinking and my communication has become a little bit more thoughtful because of the way time was and because of the contact we did or didn't have with other people. So that's a big takeaway. I wouldn't say that was just from the second half of 2020, but I feel like that with all the events that this was all built up, especially with grandpa and then not being able to see family and then my dad in the hospital and just there was this different weight of what's really important in Mm -hmm. life. Who Who is important to you? How do I want to spend my time? How do I want to connect with people? And just how precious time and our health is was really exacerbated because of all of this in addition to what was going on. I think the past two years has given me a different outlook on all of that and really pushed me to a place where I'm thinking more and more about how do I want to spend my time rather than being in a situation that's not satisfying or being around people who aren't serving my life. Yeah, I think that's been a a huge effect of the past two years. It's the YOLO mentality now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad that phrase hasn't really come back. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. Should we work? We should probably not try and bring that back then. I mean, I I think it is. It's like it is. It's it put things in such stark contrast 
uh, of what is, like you said, like what is really important because mm-hmm. I think that there's sometimes when, the, when something traumatic happens and it puts in very clear, clear contrast to something like you could be gone tomorrow. And mm-hmm. if that was the case, then what, how are you spending your time? And, uh, and so I think we just, we all got to think about that for two years. <laughs> yeah. So I like to think that it's like, yeah, we got put in, put into a collective timeout as a society and just to think about, think about what you did mm-hmm. and, and come out of it now. And what are you going to do differently? And I still think I, I feel a little bit of an external pressure or expectation like the these past two years have been I've had a lot of free time because I don't have kids I've been working from home I feel like I should have done more produced mm-hmm. more or done something more with my work or myself and I don't know where that comes from I think yeah I don't know where that comes from but I, I remember bringing that up with you probably a few months ago and you mentioned don't discount the things you've learned about yourself and mm-hmm. the conversations that we've had with each other and I that's been a big driver to to record this and yeah. <laughs> turn these conversations into podcasts because that's a lot of work in itself. Yeah, for sure. And something that I don't think I prioritized before, or we had really tapped into before, and we would talk before, but not these types of conversations. So and that's something that's emotionally and time-consuming too. Yeah, and I think that this concept of yeah, this culture of productivity, of needing to feel like we are achieving things. And I know about myself, like I definitely am hardwired to be an achiever and to feel like I'm accomplishing a lot of tasks or making progress Mm -hmm. towards something. And it can be exhausting too, because then you just, you always feel like you're not doing enough. Yeah. And I think like at, in the work environment too, like during the pandemic, trying to remind people that there's a pandemic happening right now and Mm -hmm. that if people are not 100% focused on their jobs right now, how could we expect them to be? And I think that it's like as we were recounting the things that were happening in our lives over that first year of the pandemic, everybody had some form of that. And so it's, again, a reminder of you don't know what somebody's going through. And so to have compassion for them, especially when you're yeah. seeing them in a, like a work environment where it's stressful already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think that we just, you don't know what people are doing in their lives outside of work or mm-hmm. what, what fills then, up their time and their priorities outside of it. Yeah. So. And that stands for any time in our society, mm-hmm. not just when something crazy and unexpected like this is going on. I think... Because you bring up work, now that I'm thinking about it, that I remember my work that the first year of the pandemic, so 2020 work year was insane because from a professional and communication standpoint, for work, I had to be tapped into every little detail of what was going on with mandates and regional and national regulations. And I'd pour eight hours a day into dissecting that and putting that into language on behalf of the company that I worked for. And so I think in a way, in retrospect, maybe I compartmentalized parts of the pandemic into just relating to work. And I think I am that way by nature, like work is work. When I clock out, I want to think about it as little as possible, Mm -hmm. although this topic kind of followed me after hours a lot. But I think there was this odd relation of pandemic, everything going on, changing regulations and whatnot, just related to work. 
And then I I was navigating that on a personal level, Mm -hmm. but I was able to like shove it away in a little bit of an aspect too, in a little bit of an aspect. (laughs) I was able to shove it into a little bit of an aspect. (laughs) (laughs) Shove away parts of it, just chalk it up to, okay, that was a work thing. Mm -hmm. So I think that made me think about the pandemic very differently. I think just to put it into a practical example, if I had a job in like graphic design or whatever, that's not what I do. Like those projects could theoretically be so unrelated to what was going on. But since I'm in communications, mm-hmm. you have to know I was what's doing going media on. relations. Yeah, yeah you, we had to put that message together. So it was like I was constantly doing that for this company. Mm-hmm. And I think that changed the way or it definitely affected the way I thought of it for myself. And at the end of the day, how I absorbed and processed everything, too. I think at times it was really exhausting because it was like it's work and then it's conversation when you catch up with friends or call family members. So it was like I could not get away from it. But it's all coming back to me now. I was like, that was a crazy (laughs) year at work. (laughs) I repressed all of that. (laughs) Yeah, I think like early on and at work for me because so much of my actual job too at the time was trying to figure out the most efficient way of a lot of different people working together Mm -hmm. and then on top of that we ended up being all scattered across the globe and not even working in the same office anymore that Mm -hmm. so much of my job was actually figuring out how to work more efficiently and then also Mm -hmm. as a result of that I think the, the what I took away from it was to think more empathetically of like how different people of different personality types and different backgrounds are Mm -hmm. reacting and adapting to what was happening. Because I'm clearly an extrovert and I am going to be very present in meetings and I am always going to have my camera on because I think it's important for people to be able to read body language and and it's a good way of knowing if somebody's doing okay also. Mm -hmm. But like thinking about it more and as the pandemic went on longer and longer, I'm like, no, there people need to be able to get their work done in a way that is, you know, possible for them and comfortable for them. And if that means that they don't want to have their camera on or you know what, they're just mm-hmm. not feeling like they're just not feeling up to it that morning, you know, or that day, mm-hmm. then that's totally fine. And that it's no slight against me. And then, mm-hmm. you know, and then it's not an, a mark against their work either. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I walked away from it a lot more understanding that not everybody is like me at work. And the way that I perceive the world is very different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I think it, it helped me get out of my bubble in a lot of ways, too. Oh, yeah. Because then that permeates into every interaction that I have with somebody now. Of just, oh, OK, well, that's probably not personal. Maybe it's just they're a different yeah. personality type than I am. And I think, too, working from home, it's no matter what your personality is versus working in a large office, if you're in an office around hundreds or thousands of people, you're you cannot not be influenced Definitely. by those people in the way you dress, in the way you speak, in the way you deal with other people, and you know what you bring home after work. And so I, I have this kind of flippant work from home theory, but I feel like especially after the crazy year, like 2021 work from home where people were a little more grounded and had a routine, it really made me at least realize this is my unaffected, genuine state of being, you know, yep. <laughs> because I, you don't have that little office small chat. In my past jobs a lot, I'd pick up on just things like certain phrases people would say at work, or there was definitely like a, a culture of shared voice. Mm-hmm. So I think without that 
office environment and everybody just working from home and making their own space and kind of getting themselves ready in the morning without the pressure of having to be around people in person. So that's your real self. And for me, it was soft clothes. Right. <laughs> it's definitely, I but think for a lot even, of people, it was soft clothes yeah. and elastic. Yeah, but for yes. a lot of people, I would, I would get on calls and they would be in their button-up shirt and groomed and that's what they needed to feel ready for the day and productive. Yeah. Yeah, I think that really just makes you settle into who you really are. Yeah, I think a lot of companies always say, you know, it's like show up as your authentic self, bring your full self to work. Mm-hmm. And I think that they, they say that, but I don't know what they if they know what that actually means. And I think we all saw what that actually means. Is that it's, I mean, for me, I will say that I think it was verification that I bring my full authentic self to the office in the sense mm-hmm. that. I am very social and conversational and want to make people feel welcome and go out of my way to make sure it's like, oh, I see a new person. I'm going to go introduce myself and make sure that if they have any questions, they know who to reach out to, which is impossible to do in this remote environment of like, I don't even know when somebody new joins the company. And so that is very hard to do. It's like, it's almost okay. Well, now I see my job is how do I build that infrastructure yeah. of, okay, you have somebody start. How do you make them feel welcome? How do you make mm-hmm. them give them the resources that they need? It's funny because Matt asked me that, do you ever miss going into the office? Because since the pandemic, I went fully remote. So I never mm-hmm. have to go back into an office. And for the most part, I don't, which was mm-hmm. a little bit surprising because I am such a social person and that I like talking to people uh, and I like having contact with people. But mm-hmm. I don't know if I need that in-office experience to have Mm. that. And I can say that because I've been at the company long enough and I know enough people where I have connections. But for somebody starting at a new company and a new job, oh my gosh, yeah. And so I, again, like back to empathy, trying to think about, okay, if I was new, how would Mm -hmm. I navigate this? Could I navigate Mm -hmm. it? And I think that, I feel like I I have integrated so much of my personal thinking and my work thinking of like, Mm -hmm. how do you teach somebody something? Like in the mm-hmm. in the most simplest terms, I look at both of my jobs as that my personal <laughs> job and my work job. Like, how do I teach? How do I teach somebody how to, how to teach to this toddler something? How do I teach somebody co-worker. how to use the toilet? How do I teach somebody how to access information to do their yeah. job? It's the same thing. Yeah. yeah, and then the social aspect of it too. I don't know if you think that way with your kids, but yeah, if you do have a conversation with somebody who's new in the office, they might not have not in the office, but I guess just in your virtual workplace, they might, they don't have that opportunity. So saying like connect with XYZ and this person and look at this resource. I think that's really important when you're dealing with managing people and being part of a team too. Yeah. Yeah. Understanding what somebody needs to do Mm -hmm. their job better, but then you have to be so proactive and explicit about doing that. Because otherwise, like, you, you're not sitting next to somebody and seeing that they're struggling to even figure out how to log on to something. <laughs> like, you mm-hmm. don't have that context. Yeah. And so yeah. you have to be, like, super active about doing it. And it, it is it's the same thing with the socialization aspect of with parenting, too. Well, mm-hmm. you want your kids to see other kids. But then in the pandemic, you don't want them to see too many other kids because then yeah. that's exposure. And so it's this weird thing of trying to raise social beings, but not... Mm-hmm really socializing them. And we've been really lucky that they have had a small group 
mm-hmm. because like you see the trend of like oh pandemic babies they're like another creature and it's yeah and it definitely is I can't imagine for these parents who have had babies during the pandemic and that's the only person in the world that that baby knows is their parents wow that is really tough on a lot of levels for a lot of people yeah. uh, I also think it does that's definitely an influence and in, in, this is just <laughs> this is coming from from a person who does not have children but. <laughs> saw people have babies in the pandemic. I think that's definitely an influence, but there is there are like inherent parts about tiny human beings that could make up for that. Like some kids are naturally going to be more outgoing or extroverted or expressive mm-hmm. and social, and then some are going to be a little more quiet by nature and just as yeah, by nature and maybe that contributes you know or, or gets even more emphasized because of the pandemic but Definitely. I think it, it's a mixture that yeah this is my scientific evaluation <laughs> of pandemic babies Dr. Kaylee can't a child blame psychologist. only the pandemic <laughs> <laughs> no you can't blame the pandemic for every problem that your child has yeah and you you can obviously blame your own parenting to every problem that your child has though that's really your it's your fault <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah pretty much yeah that's what I'm saying yeah no definitely though it's interesting to see because a lot of my friends have kids that are close in age to my kids mm-hmm. and just even when they're born very close in age how different they can be developmentally mm-hmm. like sometimes it's oh my gosh and you try to not get caught up in this comparison, comparison uh, of yeah. oh he's not doing that yet or she's not talking yet or because every kid is different mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're gonna get there in their own time and so it, it's interesting to see that even when you take a kid out of a social environment if that kid is social he's gonna find a way to socialize mm-hmm. and I think I've seen yeah. that definitely with my kids that they are definitely both very extroverted kids and mm-hmm. it's easy to tell that at a very young age just because any person that they see they're greeting them. They're trying, they're, Kiki's asking them babbling questions and like mm-hmm. playing good host and stuff. And so it's like that wasn't lost you know, from not being able to see a lot of people or to go out into public and go to restaurants or go and do and that, these things. But Yeah, and that didn't originate because you had them around tons of people. Right. Like we're having adults and other children talk at them. That's just how your kids are. So it'll be really interesting to see as they get older what those traits look like as they become mm-hmm. little people and little adults. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure that our parents think about that too. And they look at us and like, oh yeah, of course <laughs> Kaylee is doing that. Of course Emily's doing that. You <laughs> don't know been, me. Always been that way. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know me. You've just watched me grow up my entire yeah, life. You don't know me. Yeah. And now for a double cuzzy commercial break. Hitting that midday slump? Need a little pick-me-up? Forget all those new age probiotics and supplements. Kombucha this, kefir that, take a staycation, back to the 80s. Try crack cocaine. With a chemical composition nearly identical to powder cocaine, crack cocaine is simply another form of the beloved powder cocaine enjoyed by all of your favorite celebrities for decades. Unfortunately, back in the 80s, crack cocaine got a bad rap and was falsely claimed to be significantly more dangerous than powder cocaine. In 1986, mandatory sentencing requirements were passed that established a 100 to 1 ratio between crack cocaine and powder cocaine offenses. That meant that crack was the only drug to carry a mandatory prison sentence for first offense possession. A person convicted in federal court of possessing 5 grams of crack automatically received a 5-year prison term. A person convicted of possessing 5 grams of powder cocaine probably received a probation sentence, especially if they were white. 
But luckily for you, in 2010, Congress passed the Fair Sentencing Act, which lowered the ratio from 100 to 1 to the new low, low rate of 18 to 1. Which, now that I'm saying it, is still fucked up, considering crack and powder cocaine are just different forms of the same drug. But this was the bipartisan compromise to try and undo some of the harm from the quote-unquote failed war on drugs. Which really, I would argue, was not failed at all, because it served its intended purpose of mass incarcerating entire generations of predominantly black and brown people in order to feed the for-profit prison system and continue the cycle of poverty. But don't worry your pretty little head about that, and head on over to pick up some crack cocaine today. I'm not really sure where you go to get it, but you can probably find it pretty easily. And when you mention the promo code DUBCUS to your dealer, they'll give you a purse-sized squeeze bottle of donkey sauce. The music right. is the icing on the cake. Yeah. <laughs> Without the music, that was just that would just be. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you, the production value of your commercials is this really really well done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I like this one mostly PSA, but also commercial. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a commercial for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Crack cocaine, the war on drugs, mm-hmm. and Congress. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> covered a lot. Yeah, I covered a lot in about with a, a, minute, funky beat. a minute and a half <laughs> with a funky beat that you just can't shake. <laughs> um, on on the topic of parenting and the pandemic, since you have a toddler now and then a one year old that you had during the pandemic, have there been any unexpected benefits of parenting during this time? Maybe it's specific to being in the Bay Area and both my husband and I were borderline what would be considered super commuters of having super Mm. long commutes where we were commuting an hour and a half to two hours each way, both of us, not together too, like in separate cars going down there, going on a shuttle. And it was very difficult to get home in time to meet kids, pick up our kids, Mm -hmm. any of that. And that was just with one kid. And so I think when the pandemic hit and before I knew I was pregnant and we both started working remotely, it was really great because we were available and it Mm -hmm. wasn't this rush of get everybody ready and get out the door and get on the road and then I'll see you again in 10 hours. And so there was definitely a silver lining of not having to hustle around as much and to be able to slow down. And to be able to just really appreciate that we have a nice home and to be able to enjoy the things that we have here and to spend time with our kid and our kids Mm -hmm. here when we have two. And so I think that has been really nice. And there was definitely like an increase of people doing home renovation projects over the pandemic because you stay at home long enough, you see all the things that you want to change. Mm -hmm. Just, I guess, people getting plastic surgery during the pandemic. (laughs) This is like plastic surgery for your house. you stay at home long enough, you see things on your face that you want to change. Right, So I haven't fixed any of the cracks on my face, but I'm going to fix the ones that I see in the roof. But yeah, I think it was really nice to not have to feel like, oh, I'm going to spend an additional three or four hours away from my kids and my spouse Mm -hmm. just because I'm driving or I'm in a car. So that was really life changing. And then I thought, I think it put a lot of, I put a lot of things in perspective too, of one, having to constantly worry about like myself getting sick, but then also my kids getting sick, but then also this perspective of that's what matters of, oh, whatever I have going on with my job, like if that could change in a day, like I could have to, to, to take a leave or like to take care of myself or my family and I would mm-hmm. drop my job and just be like, okay, I have mm-hmm. to do this and that's it. 
And so I think it also put into perspective of, yeah, I was driving three hours a day, but like, why was I doing that? Like, why was I making that trade off? (laughs) And it's luckily now I don't even have to make that trade off. You know, I didn't have kids when I was doing the long commute either. And that was definitely a life change that I made because I wanted to prioritize being more available and around. And that's just something that's continued since this pandemic. Just I never want to waste my time doing that again. Yeah. 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 It's like I spent a month a year. That's commuting mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah and I mean when you had your first you were were you hybrid from home and in the office so you were doing a little bit of a commute right I was always working at least one day from home even before mm-hmm. any anything that was formally hybrid just because we were mm-hmm. pretty flexible mm-hmm. but it was definitely like by the fourth day of going into the office I would feel so burnt out And any week that I had to actually go in four days or especially five days, I was like completely toast. And it was just Mm -hmm. the whole weekend was just spent trying to recover to do it all again on Monday. And so I think maybe also that was like a big silver lining too, that the weekends just felt a lot more my own. So that was nice, but it definitely complicated getting pregnant during the pandemic and not knowing what the risks associated with that were was a little bit crazy. And then also the changing regulations around who's going to be allowed to go into the hospital with me. Am I going to have to be by Mm -hmm. myself for this? It was definitely at least comforting that because it was my second child, Mm. I was sort of aware of what the process was going to be. But I would imagine that would be really overwhelming if it was my Mm -hmm. first child. If it was like, oh, yep, you can't have a, a partner come in with you. That would be extremely overwhelming. I feel really lucky that for the most part had a pretty unaffected delivery the second time around, even with the pandemic. So yeah, I was not allowed to use a particular form of painkiller during it though, because of COVID restrictions. And that was uh, (laughs) bullshit. But I understood. Yes. I was not allowed to use the laughing gas that I used in my first delivery, which was very helpful. But Uh, you were able to use the horse tranquilizer. Exactly. They just (laughs) shot me up with that. They just tranked me. And then I woke up two weeks later and I had a kid. (laughs) It was like the 1950s style where they just knock you out. No, it was not that way either. So, (laughs) but luckily I was pretty unaffected by any sort of COVID restrictions. Do you remember, I think the time you had the baby yeah I do remember you didn't know who would be able to be at the hospital and Matt would be able to be with you and I think at the same time in New York I knew someone giving birth and they had to do it alone so it was so like state by state and who knows how it's gonna switch so yeah even I think in California it was county by county because I knew mm-hmm. somebody who was like, they were in another county and it was like, oh yeah, we are only, we're only allowed one partner and like they're only allowed in for certain, like in and out privileges from the hospital a certain mm-hmm. amount of times or whatever. And then I remember like right before, like about a month before I was due, we had a COVID exposure. Like mm-hmm. luckily none of us got it, but it was the close, and this was before vaccines, this was before anything. And that was mm-hmm. nerve wracking because it was like, if any of us tested positive, then we would have been completely isolated after I gave birth. Yeah. So that it's just, it's, this is, it's serious shit. This is a serious thing. Uh, It still is. But yeah, I think like in in 2021, things started really to to change. Like it felt like there was a glimmer of hope in the beginning of the year. And you know, and the insurrection happened and then I just saw all my friends there without me and that was depressing, but (laughs) FOMO, YOLO, FOMO, insurrection FOMO again. (laughs) No, just kidding. So you Um, get for not being on Facebook enough. I wasn't on Facebook enough and it was like, oh, my baby's only like a week and a half old. I can't really afford (laughs) to go go. to this insurrection, but (laughs) I guess I just 
regret it later. We'll just look at all the pictures later and regret it. <laughs> so that was really tough. We're no. just kidding. <laughs> we're just kidding. We were nowhere near there. No, but I think 2021, when I, I, I did such a close revisit of what was I doing month to month, mm-hmm. because I think around this time, it was when you and I started having more of these very deep conversations about bigger Mm -hmm. topics. I think it was probably like the second half of 2020, early 2021, where, Mm -hmm. because we've always been close as cousins and friends, but you know, and we're family, our tagline. (laughs) (laughs) But, but yeah, I don't think we really had talked about any of these kinds of things in depth. Mm -hmm. Only so much that you can talk about in a text message thread anyways. Yeah. I do think it was like all of this sinking in over a year and then changes with our family and in our individual lives that really opened that up or more of that up. Yeah, I'm very grateful for that because I think, and I don't know if it was just because both of us were trying to work through this shit on our own in our heads and it wasn't working, but (laughs) (laughs) we're both on the same page about a lot of things and thinking about a lot of the same emotional changes. And and it's hard because I think with all this going on too, not being around a normal friend group or a family too. Mm-hmm. I, I found myself leaning on my partner a lot for validation or these conversations or for the things that were going through my mind, but I didn't verbalize to him. <laughs> so it's like you, you can only do that so much and there's some things you just that aren't fit for that person. So I think to have you to talk to about a lot of these, especially because we are so close in family and shared experience. That's been super, super helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you were talking about how, you know, it sort of put the full weight before we started having these types of conversations and came up with the concept of, Oh, first we were like, Oh, we should have a blog of some sort. Mm -hmm. And then we're like, maybe we should have a podcast as part of that. And then I think we decided it's just like, I don't want to do the work of developing a blog and a website. I just want to talk. Let's just talk about things. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just do the podcast. conversations that were interesting. And we did try to write a few things and we're like, this is not good. (laughs) We can't. It's not working. Why? My brain's not working in this format. And so let's think about this differently. But yeah, I think it, it, it came out of we were each having these sort of inner mental emotional spirals. And it was helpful to actually hear somebody else verbalize it. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. it's not just me thinking these yeah. things or having these struggles. And and I think so far the reception that we've gotten from people who have listened to this podcast is the conversations that I've had with people like about, oh, I didn't know that about you or your family or, oh, it's so similar to my family. And I had no idea, you know, about, about that because we don't have these types of conversations. Like a lot of my mm-hmm. other friendships, I like, don't have these types of conversations. Mm-hmm. So having this conversation out there has been a platform to have those conversations with other people too. Yeah. It opens it up. Yeah. Yeah. Other people. Yeah. Super interesting. So you're welcome world. (laughs) (laughs) One silver lighting that I am seeing for myself and a lot of other people, a lot of other Mm -hmm. friends is that I think because a lot of people have been going through this process of understanding, like how much do I allow work to make up my life? Mm. They're seeing that, They want to do other creative projects and that Mm. they should just do them. (laughs) Somebody I work with, actually, I was having this conversation with them about how they were adjusting to the pandemic and having a very similar conversation to what we're having now, just like how have they been doing? What were their habits like in the early pandemic and how whether they seem to be effective now? And they're talking about how 
that basically when the pandemic happened, started, and we all had to stop socializing with everybody and seeing people and doing all the other things that we did outside of work, all that was left, it just stripped away everything of our lives. And all that was left was work, was our job, mm-hmm. because that was the only interaction that we could really justify having is because mm-hmm. we, we had to do that. And as a result, it caused everybody to, I, I think, have this reaction of try to put everything and make everything that they needed out of life out of work. Mm-hmm. And then found pretty quickly that that's not possible and that's not mm-hmm. healthy either. And it definitely mirrors like my own experience of just trying to throw myself completely into like, how do I make work feel better? Mm-hmm. And then a rejection of, oh, I make it feel better by not actually having to deal with it all the time or thinking mm-hmm. about it all the time or defining myself by it all the time. And I think maybe that's what the second year of the pandemic was. Everybody had had this year of just trying to do things the same way or trying to still produce the same level of results, but not able to do it in the same way as before. And then it's just like, why am I even doing this? And it was a reprioritization of like how we spend our time in combination Mm -hmm. with not having to spend waste so much time getting ready and commuting and doing all of these things that were just wasted. Mm -hmm. And so then having actual time to pursue things like learning how to do a podcast. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's been really cool is like, I have seen, I have seen friends who have either made a career change or started a fun side project Mm. and it was just kind of stuff I think before where people had ideas maybe in their heads and they just either never found the time or the reason or the drive to to pursue it so at least that's been something that I've that's been really cool to see yeah so I would agree with that yeah it makes you this whole situation has made me think and everybody think about time so differently and Yeah, I have seen that come up with people that I know. And yeah, I would consider that a huge silver lining, even though the push to make people think like that was something we would never have expected or wished for. Makes you think about your output and, you know, what you're contributing to work and yourself and your own life very differently. So it's impossible to say because it's sliding doors. You make one choice differently or one thing happens differently and everything else is different. But Mm -hmm. if not for the pandemic happening, do you think that you would have quit your job when you did? There's so many things Mm -hmm. that as a result of the pandemic, all of these things happened as far as like other people left, like resources, all this stuff. But do you think that like for yourself that you would have had the drive or the motivation or the push to be like no I'm just not gonna I don't want to do this anymore for now I think oh it's so hard to say a part of me wants to say that may have happened sooner if it wasn't for the Mm, pandemic mm -hmm. because if I were going into the office and you would have burnt out faster yeah but also because my work was so related to everything going on it's hard to say and I think the job that I was in I did keep it for so long because it was stable I knew what to expect when a lot of people were losing their jobs or didn't have that reliable source of income or stability yeah I think it possibly could have happened sooner if it weren't for the pandemic but there are a lot of other factors that I can never really truly answer that but yeah yeah I think for me if not for the pandemic, if, if I wasn't, if I didn't change my job the way that I did as, as a result of the pandemic, I definitely would have quit because mm-hmm. it, and it, mm-hmm. I think it was like, if I was expected to still be in the office in some level, I would have quit. 
I would have found a different job or a different company where I wouldn't have to make that commute because I think that was becoming such the sticking point and becoming such mm. a time suck for everything else too in my life where that, that would have been the breaking point. But I also think that had I not pivoted my job the way that I did when the pandemic mm-hmm. hit, I am not interested in the work that I was doing before. And so yeah. if I was still doing that work, I, I guess I wouldn't be doing that work one way or another. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be doing that kind of work. Yeah. So I've been lucky that it's like there was sort of a void of figuring out like how do we interact with each other and how do we operate when we're all remote. And mm-hmm. it was like, oh, okay, I want to figure that out <laughs> instead. Yeah, so I just took that on. Yeah. But yeah. Then and it was more important than ever. And you were ready to tackle yeah, it. Yeah. It felt more important than ever. But then it just felt like such a heavy weight of just, and, and I think that was definitely me doing that to myself of, mm-hmm. I, I tend to do that to myself anyways. And maybe that was also real, a realization of, I shouldn't feel like I alone am the one who is trying to fix this problem because that's impossible. Yeah. And I'm only going to be disappointed in myself if that's my expectation of myself. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Learning not how to just do it on your own. And especially since because so much was, is this a permanent thing? Is this going to be the situation forever? It's like, how do you put all of that together when you don't have the playbook? I guess maybe just to wrap up the pandemic talk at this point, it'll be... We're two years in, mm-hmm. March, middle of March, I think was when everything went crazy. Yeah. What's your outlook for the next year or two with all of this going on with, in relation to what you've learned and been through the past two years? Yeah, I'm hopeful because I do feel like we are entering, we're approaching the endemic phase of this where it's like the really morbid realization of we're all probably going to get it. Sorry, guys. I already got it. We already got it. <laughs> My family already got it. Well, you know, summer of 2020. So that really sucked. Or actually, no, summer of 2021. But I'm hopeful, at least in the sense where I think things will start reopening and can start reopening more safely mm-hmm. just because of where we are as far as herd immunity or approaching that. So I am looking forward to things getting a little bit more normal and accessible. Like I'm looking forward to, because I have young kids, like getting them, being able to get them vaccinated sometime soon. I'm still waiting because that would be nice to be able to fly places as opposed to drive everywhere, which is again, Mm -hmm. another such a time suck as much as I love road trips. So I'm hopeful for that because I think that will open up a lot of opportunities to be able to see people more frequently and to get back to Arizona more and see people. But then I also am very optimistic for the next few years because I feel like personally I have so much more direction and inspiration of what I want to work on, not just, oh, what my job is. And so Mm -hmm. I think that is really exciting too, because it's like something else to look forward to that in my personal life, as opposed to just like a marker in my professional life. So Mm -hmm. yeah. What about you? What's your outlook for the next couple of years? How are you feeling? In general, pretty positive. It does feel like things are becoming a little more safe in terms of how the pandemic has progressed naturally. Yeah, I do have some anxieties about things here and there, but it's I'm at a point where I know my boundaries and I'm confident in taking care of myself and the things that I can do to protect myself that I feel like I can stay safe in many situations. Mm-hmm. I'm taking a big trip in March, so 
that's been weird to plan because I haven't really done big travel just for fun in a long time. That's something that I really love, but I feel pretty safe doing it. And I'm lucky that I have a, a friend who knows has done international travel lately and knows the ropes of everything that I'm going with. So that gives me confidence in the whole situation. But in general, yeah, a positive outlook. And I think, you know, over the past couple of years, I've learned so much and keep learning so much about myself. I'm looking forward to continuing to chip into that and, and build upon that and use this time to to dream up something else of what's next and what I contribute my time to and make up myself next. I feel like that came a little bit late in relation to everything, but I need to give myself some patience with Never that. too late. Um, never too never late. Never too late. Yeah. I mean, I'm slightly older than you and we're in the same place. And I feel like just so many people, regardless of age, are, are coming to this realization now in their mm -hmm. lives. You've done so much more work as far as understanding what you want or like setting the boundaries and, and giving yourself the space in your life to be able to discover that versus mm -hmm. other people. Yeah, it is weird being this age, not married without kids, not married and childless. <laughs> you make it sound so, make sense in the edit. You make it yeah. sound so depressing and it's just like, oh, it's choice. <laughs> yeah. But it's like I none of the choices that I make have to be you know, directed by those external factors. Yep. Like I am in a, a very loving and long-term relationship, but there's none of that permanence of children or formal arrangement of being married mm -hmm. that I have to consider in these things. So it is weird, like approaching mid-30s in that situation because I don't really know anybody who is in that situation. So it's like I'm in my own little orb and I'm still trying to make sense of it, but I'm getting there. Yeah. <laughs> You've broken free from all of the existing societal frameworks. So now you're just rebuilding it. Whatever your own framework is. Yeah. You don't know me. None yeah. of you know me. None of you know me. <laughs> you might have listened to seven hours of me talking, but you don't know me. You don't know me. Just you watch. <laughs> um, oh. Okay. I have a compliment for you. Oh, yes. Compliments. Yes. It's your turn. <laughs> it relates to what you're talking about your work at the end of this, but you've always been a really hard worker, but in the past few months, I've really seen you make your work work for you and use skills and interests that you're really passionate about and applying those to your work. And I think your diligence and the quality that you put into work, you're seeing results now and you're seeing it work for yourself and your team. And that's a really cool thing for me to see because you share bits and pieces with me. So it's inspiring to see that as I navigate what I want to do and what's important. So it's been cool to see that happen with you, much in part to a lot of hard work and self-work and just staying on top of it and believing in, in what you're doing too. Yeah, and I think that's very unique and I feel like it's been a privilege to be able to see that these past few months. Thank you. I wish you were giving my performance review in the, in the next <laughs> month or so instead, but I'll just play this recording at my performance review. Yeah, testimonial. Like, I have external <laughs> feedback that I'm great at my job. Yeah. <laughs> By somebody who doesn't, who doesn't, isn't in any of my meetings, they say no, that I am great. I mean, 
mean, I'm not involved in it, but I hope that it's recognized and it seems like that is being seen. Yeah. Um, we shall see further. That will be, <laughs> that will definitely be the test. But no, I definitely, I think what you said hit the nail on the head of make work work for you. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah, the process of integrating, the thinking of, again, like the introspection of what do I actually like to do and what am I good at and what can only mm-hmm. I do? Mm-hmm. What am I uniquely good at? And mm-hmm. just, I'm going to spend most of my time doing that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, I've, I have felt really lucky that I've had the space to do that mm-hmm. for my job because I do feel like I'm adding different value than I would if I was just tasked with executing something very specific. Yeah, I think on top of that too, like identifying what you're good at, but how do you make that something that you actually enjoy doing? Because a lot of people are good at things, but it makes them miserable when they're doing that. 40 hours, 50 hours a week. Yeah. 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 I think I told you that when I was tracking my, like, my, the new laptop that I got, like tracking the status of like, when is it going to get delivered? And like, why is it stuck at this transit center? And why mm-hmm. isn't it here when it was supposed to be? And it was just like, oh shit, this was my actual job for so many years of just like <laughs> chasing vendors to get stuff and following up with them and escalating when it wasn't there on time. And it was like, wow, I was good at that, but I hated <laughs> but it. What does that mean? I hate it. And it's, yeah, exactly. So what does it mean to be good at that exactly? And if you like that, I guess. Supply chain is for you, but Mm -hmm. I definitely did not like that aspect of my job for a long time. And Mm -hmm. that was the main part of my job, actually, when I think about it. Yeah, (laughs) I I think having that realization after the fact and it's, oh, yeah, I'm glad that I didn't do I don't do that anymore. But, you know, thinking about Mm -hmm. it when you're in it is harder to separate yourself. Oh, actually, it's this part of my job that I don't like. And is that a core responsibility of my job or not? Yeah. Yeah. Will that change? Can I make that work for me? Yeah. In any time? Yeah. It's for sure been an evolution, though, because when I think back of like where I started out in my career and the kinds of problems that I I, I would always see, I, I feel like problems that I wanted to solve or that I had ideas about how to solve, but I didn't really have the right audience for it, or I wasn't in the actual right role to give that type of feedback either. And Mm -hmm. so it's definitely been like a progress over a decade of just, okay, I've worked long enough at these these types of companies. So yeah, it's it's nice at least to feel like I'm not going to be spending any more of my career consciously anyways doing that type of work that I just really despise. Tracking packages. Tracking (laughs) packages, yeah. Yeah, if I'm tracking a package, it's because I'm going to be receiving something personally that I want to use. It's because I want to. (laughs) I have a vested interest in getting that package for myself, so yeah. Thank you, though. Yeah, that was a nice compliment. It's nice to, it is nice to somebody else, like, recognize yeah, I'm trying to integrate, Mm -hmm. like, what I'm good naturally at and what I like doing and fitting, Mm -hmm. fitting it in together as one comprehensive life as opposed to a yeah. job and, and obviously I'm not like part of your day-to-day work and I, I only understand a small part of it but the things that you've shared with me it's really refreshing to see you uh, have that outlook with your work right now and and I know that you've spent a lot of time and effort getting to that point and so it's something that that you should be really proud of Oh, thank you. I will remember that when, <laughs> when it gets frustrating. I will remember that. <laughs> Just replay that. <laughs> yes, yes. I will listen to this little soundbite. Cool. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Play the outro and subscribe. Su- support we- us on Patreon. Thanks for listening to Double Cuzzies, where we're cousins and friends. But most importantly, we're family. Bye. Bye. <laughs>